0: Bob Woodward's in TiVo interview about five Reister months ago. It shows that the are was,
1: It's untrue. Honestly, he was done and then he wasn't. And the guy not. Oh, shit. i done with this
0: guy, and then
1: he went down to kiss the ring in Mar-a-Lago. Why haven't they been able to stick to their view that he's bad? He's
0: having a party and should go? I'm going to stick to it. I, I, there's evidence of this. I can give an anecdote of what happened uh, to me. And uh, uh, six months ago, I was invited to give a talk in Lidl, Texas. Now, Lidl, Texas is the real capital of uh, Texas. Both Bushes were senior George W. Clinton so they, you know, this is Bush country. So i have giving this speech, uh, and uh, there's a reception afterwards, a couple of hundred people there. And uh, off in the corner, were 25 people. And uh, they're ages 50 to 95. And uh, they're asking mm-hmm. me questions. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to ask myself. Uh, and it, said it went mm-hmm. on. so let me ask you. How many of you think the 2020 presidential election was stolen from Donald Trump? Raise your hand. In
1: the wettest part of the red state. Yes. I'm guessing almost every hand of the
0: room went on. And I'm just about on the floor saying, you know. Want wanted to call the newspaper <laughs> and, <laughs> and say, huh? and I said, Trump, what's going on? How many of you support Trump and are going to vote for him and want him to run? Raise your hand. I mean, 45. No, no. Every one of them. Every one. I mean, they couldn't get the hands high enough, even the 95 year reaching. <laughs> <laughs> But so it's style, what are you referring to that? I'm referring from that that the pillar of Trump's candidacy, as Trump would like to see it, mm-hmm. is the election history, is not the pillar of mm-hmm. the They like him. They feel that. I, I remember in the Oval mm-hmm. Office interview. We're in the Oval Office, so we're talking about, now this is uh, 2019, 2020, so it, it's been present over three years. And it, it's stunning the way these interviews take place in the, in the office, because he brings in all of his 81, uh, brought in Pence, the Vice President. Pence came in. and. Uh, for 45 minutes, can't said nothing, asked no question, and I, wow, oh, this is, you know, what's sort of, you So, anyway, going through, we're talking about 2016, and I, I looked at it, and I've spent some time on this, and I've heard books on it, doesn't mean, So, I just said, you know, my evaluation, and then in 2016, when you were running against the you instinctively realized that he the old order the woman, that was my ultimate partner. He The old was, him him. was And in the older office, there's a picture in front of the God, and there's one of the historians about the chapter. point of it is that you see, this is why. I have audio if you had a video of Trump's behind you and he says, yes, yes. yes, I can never do it Of course he didn't But, well, I, I think this is the point. Who is he? Whose interest who does he, he represent? And uh, you know, what, how's the whole order in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party right now? Cheeky, uncertain. Who are the leaders of the two parties in the United States? Biden's president? A lot of people, a lot of folks, show the Democrats don't vote.
1: It's a jump ball. it seems enough, the first time you ran, to say, there were the few people who said, he can win. Most other people in the media were making jokes about the whole thing. You said he could win. Do you think he can win again? Yes, yeah. yeah. Of course he can. And you know, that's
0: why we love the jobs we have as journalists, because it's the anything can happen world. Isn't it? Anything can happen. And so if it, it may happen, you know, uh, I, I wanted to mention Lindsey Graham. Yeah, South uh, Right, big Trump supporter, but has been off the Trump trade occasionally. So I'm talking to Lindsey Graham once. I think this was you know, this was last year. And I'd said, I'm worried about it. our business, the media, that there's a perceived bias one way or another. And, and he said something. Say, oh, don't worry about your business. People have already written it off as another form that came um, I said, there's a lot of people who have the word is of And that's not, you know, that's not our job. Catherine Graham, the publisher of The Post during Watergate, great lady uh, after Nixon resigned, wrote Carl Bernstein and myself personally person and I'm yellow legal, have we not more stationary than any 500 people in Washington, but she chose the yellow legal. Dear Carl now Nixon's resigned, and you get some of the stories. quote. Well, now don't start thinking too highly. And let me give you some advice. And that advice is beware the demon composite. Beware the demon Why did she feel feel she needed to give you that advice? Because then and now composite exists not just in media, but in uh, politics and movies. Wall Street in the United States. Uh, I may ask him, can you ask the bolder? How many people, uh, and raise your hand, uh, how many people think that the demon pomposity is a big, big problem in America? Raise your hand. (laughs) This is not like the first question. Only one hand. How many think it's not? So now now what does that tell you? How about this? How many people think the demon of us is popular? And your head? As many as there well as almost as many. Yeah. How many don't think so? You've got a few people. You've heard this said numerous times.
1: Trump would say, if I were still president, Putin never would have invaded Ukraine. What do you make of that claim?
0: Oh boy! Uh, easier to describe the creation of the universe. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a valid question. I I follow, followed this closely because I I think uh, the Ukraine war is the most important thing going on in the world, globally, and. Uh, I think it's going to be in the history books for our grandchildren's grandchildren to read about. And it is tricky, because Putin has got this idea, I'm going to restore the old empire. Uh, Ukraine was once part of the Soviet Union, and we're going in that direction. And how do you, I, I think the first thought we have to have is, why do we not have a world order in this country, in this world, I'm sorry, to stop something like that, to keep something like that from happening? What he is doing to Ukraine is savage, unbelievable. you get. You have to get into the question of why was he not deterred or stopped from doing that? What somebody told me, who knows in the United States government, that uh, Putin has lost two thirds of his army, either killed or wounded, lost. I mean, this was a. This. This was a. I'm sure it's a secret number, but that, and this was about three weeks ago, that Putin has lost 1,900 of the 3,000 tanks he had. I mean, he's destroying his army. He's destroying Ukraine, which he wants back. He has made himself a pariah in the world, and uh, how... How do you keep this from happening? How do you do it? I think uh, Biden has done a really strong job of dancing that line of putting pressure, su- supplying arms. I mean, now, I think is you're going to yep. give four tanks? tanks? yep. Right? Well, <laughs> boy. After Four having, tanks ain't ain't anything. No, well, and, and after having given a lot of stuff already, yeah, the, government and, and of the, the United States, say, States is going to give thirty-one, and Germany's going to give yeah. this, and you know somebody organized that, and uh, in large part, I think it's Biden who you know is kind of you know they're sitting at the poker table, you know, and every how much are you going to put in? How much are you going to put in? And everyone, everyone did, and that's important, but. What what is the point? Uh, uh Brent Scowcroft, Prince Gocroft, who was an American national security advisor for a couple of presidents, one of the genius, the true geniuses in foreign affairs, once said in the eighties, he said he said, Deterrence is what is in the heads of your enemy leadership. I think that's true. What's in Putin's We didn't deter him from invading. What did, does he think? Uh, we can, uh, a lot of people say uh, time is not on Ukraine's side in this long war. They've done a fabulous job. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. But what happens in the coming months, in when do you? When does Putin feel? You know, get you know, sit all like this at, at there in the Kremlin, and uh, just say, you know, we're going all the way, and all the way could be using a tactical nuclear weapon, which would change that day. Should that happen, will mark. Will be a pivot point in history. And uh, you can't rule without.
1: There are microphones apparently in the hall. For, there's one over there and one over here. And uh, if you want to go to the microphones, we'll take your questions. And while you line up, I'm going to ask him one last question. And that is 21 books, two Pulitzer Prizes, lots of different actors, from Robert Redford to Will Ferrell to many others, having played you in movies. Am I allowed to say this? In two months, you're going to be 80. You're about to turn 80. You know,
0: I- You're going to wait for the question, or what? No. I, because what I want, I I, I have so many doctors. <laughs> no, really. I, and I have to keep a list. This doctor takes care of this. and I. I called the doctor who'd done my cataracts and asked something about my prostate. <laughs> <laughs> it's true.
1: Okay, now, but, but but the question, Mr. <laughs> Woodward, is you you are doing this work well past the time that most people who do this work do this work. Why? Well,
0: it is great work, as you know. You get. I mean, think about it. In uh, our business, we make momentary entries into people's lives when they're interested, right? And then we get the hell out when they <laughs> cease to, to be interesting. <laughs> if you're a lawyer or a doctor, you have clients, you have patients who have, oh, no, yeah, here's, here comes so and so you know, with the, all of those uh, legal or medical problems, and it's routine. We flee from the routine, right? And so, what what could be more interesting? And also, to I think we're, I, I think there are five things that are going on right now that are really important uh, in the United States focus there, but also the world. First is Ukraine. The second is weather climate change, which I don't know anything about but that's real talk to people who've been dealing with these storms and so forth uh the third is the coronavirus not going away it is uh the variants you talk to the Fauci's or the equivalents now and there's lots of nervousness the fourth is inflation which is a Problem that uh, how is inflation here in Canada?
1: Six seven percent. It's still an yeah, issue.
0: Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's to to people who can't afford it. It's you either pay rent or buy groceries or cut back. Uh, and I think the fifth thing is the leadership vacuum of the United States. Uh, the perceived leadership in both parties, and the most prominent, successful, courageous leader on the globe is Zelensky. Yeah. He sure is. He sure is. Okay.
1: Over here first. Okay. Incidentally, just before we take the first question over here, we had Dr. Fauci on the agenda, the program that I host a few months yeah. ago. And I said to him, who was the best president, the guy who got it the most, the one who was really engaged on all the files you were on? And he punted. He said, well, you know, you know they've all been you know, wonderful in their own particular ways. And I said, okay, well, if you won't ask, answer who was your favorite, I said, is there any question in anybody's mind who you thought the worst was? And he said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't say the T word. Didn't say the word, but we no, knew who okay. he meant. Yes, please, microphone over here. Your question for Bob Woodward. Hi, Bob. Uh, thanks for coming to Toronto, because uh, the Trump presidency certainly does affect Canadians, as would a potential sequel. Uh, so um, you wrote that Jim Mattis used to sleep in his gym clothes when he was worried about uh, a nuclear attack from North Korea, and Trump has built this new system. You also revealed it's not clear if it's nuclear. Um, maybe you have found that out. But how worried are you about Trump's finger on the nuclear button again if he does resume the presidency?
0: Uh, well, that's, that's a really important question. Uh, in the book before this one that came out in uh, 2021, peril I did with Robert Costa, great young reporter uh, who's now with CBS. We opened the book on... January 8, 2021, two days after the insurrection at the Capitol. And the head of the Chinese military, General Lee, calls Milley and says, what the hell's going on? Are you coming apart because of the insurrection? And Millie says, no, no, this is democracy. Sometimes we have bad days. And then he puts down the phone. And this is the history uh, works in chronological order. And his aide comes in and says, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, third in line for the presidency according to the Constitution, is on the phone. And uh, Costa and I got a transcript of the call between Nancy Pelosi and Millie. And Nancy Pelosi says, "General, this number one general in the United States military, and uh, you know, Trump's crazy, and he could set off a nuclear weapon. And please give me assurance that he can't." And really say, "Oh no, no, you know, don't. We have procedures, and don't really, you know." Uh, and then she says, "He's really crazy, General." And, and general says, "I agree with everything you're saying." <laughs> and uh, they hang up, most stunning call. I mean So then Billy starts thinking about, do we really have control of nuclear weapons?" And he calls it the great phrase, the darkest moment of theoretical possibility. Mm. The darkest moment of theoretical possibility that Trump, as commander in chief, could call and order military action, even using a nuclear weapon. So Milley, in, in, in what I call an act of, intellectual readiness and courage. Calls in the watch officers in the Pentagon from the National Military Command Center who were there 24-7. He calls him in and he says, now we have procedures, because Millie is number one military person, is the chief military advisor to the president. And so he should be in on the Decision. Mm -hmm. And he goes around the room, one by one. Asks an oath. You got it? Don't you understand? Yes, sir. You got it? Yes, sir. You got it? Yes, sir. You got it? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. So, the answer to your question is the darkest moment of theoretical possibility. Now, The only other time that issue came up were the last days of the Nixon presidency when Schlesinger, who was Secretary of Defense, had that worry about Nixon and sent out orders, just like Billie, to everyone. Nothing will happen unless I'm in on the discussion. So great question and one that people should reflect on. Now, we came out with this in peril, and I think a lot of oh, can that be true? no you know, people don't. Milley testified to the January 6 committee, and they asked him about every paragraph in that book, and he said it's absolutely true. Yes, sir. Your turn.
1: Sure. Uh, Mr. Woodward, it's truly an honor to be here hearing you speaking tonight. Uh, I want to follow up on your remarks regarding Ukraine and Russia's behavior in Ukraine. In my humble capacity, I agree with you for sure that it's the most important thing happening in the world right now. But you having the privilege of covering 10 presidents closely, don't you think that Russia's behavior is mimicking what they did in Syria perhaps with the Wagner Group and other things? And there has been a lot of telling signs that Russia is emboldened in that way. And um, if you can remark on that, perhaps shed more light on well, it. Well,
0: it's exactly the question. I mean, if, if we had President Biden here, and he, I mean, this has come out, and I've done some reporting on this, but he's trying to walk that line of deterring Putin and the Wagner Group and all of these other people Uh, but not trigger a reaction on Putin's part, and Biden has made it very clear, I'm trying to avoid World War III. Uh, We we don't have to take a vote on that. We don't. I mean, how many people? (laughs) I mean, of course. And uh, he, he doesn't want a war directly with Russia. But are we in a proxy war? How how does Putin look at it? Now, Zelensky came, it was last month, to the United States, spoke in the Congress. Mm -hmm. It was a great moment. Uh, It was almost Winston Churchill. Uh, And he said, you know, thank you, and we want more. And there was this kind of wonderful feeling in the United States of unity and so How do you think Putin looks at that? In the CIA, they have to analyze and try to figure out. Putin looks at that and says, oh, they've already declared war on me.
1: Does that suggest that the American Congress should not have invited him to speak?
0: No, no. But it suggests that we're living in a world where Uh, on this situation of Putin and Ukraine. We are on uh, ice that's so thin you can't even see through it.
1: Over here, please. Thank you very much. Uh, At one point during the dialogue tonight, Steve, you made reference to asking Bob, didn't you ever feel like telling Mr. Trump to shut up? And then in the presidential debate, Joe Biden did precisely that. (laughs) What impact did you have think that had on the outcome of the election. And what was your reaction when you heard it?
0: Uh, well, uh, I mean, I understand the feeling. <laughs> but, you know, that. I mean, this is the whole thing. You, you, I mean, you, you have to contain yourself, uh, certainly as a journalist. Uh, people, I mean, you asked the question about why did Trump talk to me? Uh, in part because uh, he knew that I tried strive for the reputation of being nonpartisan, that I want to listen, I want to understand, and uh, Biden is in a political contest. I, you know, I quite frankly had forgotten that Biden told him to shut up, uh, but he, he, you're right, he did. Uh didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he's still, I I mean, you know, it's not quite so bad that I wake up at night and think that Trump is right behind me shouting in my ear. See the hate? See the hate? What? You know, what? And this goes to so many large questions about our education system and ourselves and our children and. Hate does destroy. And have you ever have you ever hated anyone? Actually, no. Okay, well that's I know you had to say that. No. <laughs> it it has but, the added but the, the problem being true. is we get to we you know, some get riled up and you really you know, whether hate is the word, just feel utter contempt or something like that's that. That's different or, or dis, yeah, I'm not sure it's different. See, that's the problem, that we, we have given ourselves too often an emotional get-out-of-jail-free card that we can let it rip. And we've got to find some way, not just in, individually, but collectively, to tamp that down if we can and, and understand you know, what the job is that we all should have about uh, personal growth, personal self-understanding. I tell you, I work on that, but I'm not there. (laughs) I swear. (laughs) Over here, please.
1: Good evening, sir. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I used to be a journalist myself. I used to cover politics in Brazil. Never boring. Uh, but as you know, a few weeks ago we have our own version of the Capitol invasion on January 8th. I wonder if you could uh, to comment on that and also if from now on we're going, we'll be seeing this kind of event happen again somewhere else in the world.
0: Yeah, that, I, I don't I, I've read about what happened in Brazil and it, it has a really uh, ugly echo, doesn't it? Uh, but I, I don't have any more deal about that. But I, when you uh, raised that question, I I want to uh, share this story, because it, it uh, meant a lot just being able to watch something. Uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, there was a general who uh, was in the, in the chief of staff, head of the American Army General Ray Odierno. And I got to know him. He was the commander in Afghanistan and Iraq and a revered figure in the Army. And each year he would have the new generals, one star, come. And there were about 100, 110 them, come to Washington for seminars and discussions. And he'd ask. People to come talk, and he asked me each for many years to come talk to the new generals about the media. And so I go talk about the media, and then Odierno would uh, take the floor and big barrel of a man, and he walked down the aisle and uh, generals. Now he's they've got one star, he's got four stars, you know, not. He's not uh, demeaning them, but he's, he's just reminding them. He's got more experience than that. What's the job of the army, generals? And almost everyone would raise their hand. And they call one general. What's the job of the army? And the one-star general, Chief, the job of the army is to train, equip. And organize members, uh, people in the army to fight and win wars. And every reasonable answer? Reasonable answer, Then yeah. Odierno said, Alright, generals, what's the second job in the army? What's the second job of the army? And everyone, <laughs> generals a second job? Wait a minute! I did. No one told me. <laughs> <laughs> is there a second job? And to do this silence. and oh dear, General, the second job of the army, and it may be the first job of the army, is to prevent war, and all the. Well, we learned something today <laughs> that we should have known. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, Colin Powell, was, I got to know Colin Powell very well. And Powell, what a, I mean, he was the reluctant warrior. He was the one. I wrote in one of my books about the first Gulf War when he's chairman of the Joint Chiefs uh, that Trump, or that uh, Powell was. the way, and Powell wrote his memoirs, and so in, he said that I'd said he was the reluctant way, well, had one answer, one word, guilty. Yeah. No. Guilty. The ones who know war the most realize that we have to prevent it. That's, I'm not sure anyone would have prevented what Putin has done in Ukraine, but that is the calamity that we're living with.
1: Over here. Yes, please, sir. I I work as a journalist, and uh, I've noticed myself that there is a a rise of uh, of, uh, far-right extremism and uh, hate crimes, things of that order uh, throughout Canada and around the world. Uh, Being so close to Trumpism, Trump himself and Trumpism, um, you know, I was wondering if you could speak to what his appeal is, um, to, especially in terms of the working class uh, you know, for voting, right? Like what, what is it that lures working class voters to Trump, considering he is like, a you know, very corporate billionaire who doesn't really seem to have the interest of the people in mind?
0: Yeah, well, that's again, that's uh, historians, psychiatrists are going to be studying this uh, for decades uh, and longer. Uh, Trump you know, he has that. He kind of found a voice of, you know, they're against me, they're after me. I mean, all of this in, in the discussions on the tapes. He'll say, "The Russia hoax, Bob. The Russia hoax. They were." Di-. And I, I would have to say to him, "The Russia uh, interference needed to be investigated. You're right. This, uh, this is the steel dossier that." Claimed that he had been in Moscow cavorting with uh, prostitutes was was garbage, and I had said that from a a source I had in looking at the dossier itself, and I'd say so that was misused. But and you know he was just so I've been wronged, I've been cheated, I and I think there are a lot of people. In fact, I, you know from polls, people in the United States feel they've been cheated. They're on the wrong. Uh, they've been wrong. But the notion that he would be their champion is unusual. Yeah, really? but if he found that voice, and th- and this is uh, the old order was dying, and he presented a new order. Now, whether it was logical, uh, obviously, in many ways, it was not truthful. Uh, But there, uh, and anyway, I don't want to go back to what he did on the coronavirus, but, you know, uh, I always tried to play it down. I don't want people to panic. Again, my wife Elsa looked and said, well, let's see, did presidents ever try to panic? people in the United States. And she found uh, FDR's fireside chats Mm -hmm. in the 30s and 40s. And if you go back and listen, I mean, it's it's gripping. Uh, I think I've got some in the tapes Mm -hmm. here of playing Roosevelt. Actually, you hear the scratchy uh, radio. And right after Pearl Harbor. And what does Roosevelt do? He said, we have suffered. Does does he say everything's going to be fine? Does he play it down? No. He said, we are in a struggle for our survival. And did he say, I don't want to panic you? No. He said, I know you, every man, woman, and child, in this country will rise to the occasion and do their part, and this is going to be a long struggle, but we're going to win support because of you, yeah. Yeah. the people. And you listen to that. And uh, as Elsa and I listened, we realized if when Trump, on that January 28th, had been told about this crisis coming, the tidal wave, the forest fire that's going to be the biggest national security threat to your presidency, not Russia, not China, not North Korea, not Iran, but this virus. If Trump had said, ah, I have been presented. And I asked him at one point. It's in the tapes. Did you realize that this was the leadership challenge of a lifetime? And he says. No. <laughs> Just no. <laughs> How sad! Because it was the leadership challenge and moment of a lifetime. If he had come and leveled with the if he'd been one tenth of FDR, and said, "You know, I've been told this by people who know. I don't know whether it's true." He gave a State of the Union address a couple of about ten days later, and he could have said. You know, there are experts. We don't, we'll see. He used to always say one of his answers. Well, we'll see. I don't know, but serious. Wash your hands. Socially distant. We're working on the vaccines, which is something he did a great job on, by the way. And if he just left the country into, not his mind, because that's so funny into the experience he had of these people coming in. I mean, read what I found out from them, and it's on the tape. I kept going back to them. I kept calling Matt Pottinger, the deputy national security advisor, at home through White House signal. I call him at 10 o'clock. I just have one more question. What exactly happened to him? You can hear him in his own voice say how they presented this to Trump. And it's exactly, I never have heard of a president being told, given this kind of graphic, powerful warning. And he ignored, and if he faced up to his duty, I mean, it's not just the president as a human being. You know, if I've got the, the, you know, something in my house that's a disease, and you're coming over, I would say, it's just a human gesture. Hey, you know, the guys came in and said, uh, it's going to be a tidal wave.
1: I regret to say, but one of my jobs is to make sure we finish on time tonight. This is the last question we have. So, yes, please, this microphone here. Thanks so much for coming to Toronto. This has been super nice. Um, my question for you is: If Trump's presidency or even his campaign took place during, you know, a pre twenty sixteen political climate, like the, the old world as we're kind of talking about tonight, in your opinion, what single event should have completely sunk him? What
0: what what, what single event should have sunk him? What, what, oh, you no, know, but that's if history uh you know i don't know and you know we you can't turn the clock back but this is a i mean uh look this is as close as i can get to this is the nixon tapes out of trump's mm-hmm. own mouth. and yeah, so you know if that's what people want you know we we have a democracy and uh I I will sleep uh, and I sleep pretty well knowing that I've tried to present See this I done the book from this and I listened to them again earlier last year and I thought my god it's completely different when you hear him or you put it all together Go ahead, you've got something to read.
1: Well, you know, oftentimes in your books, Mr. Woodward, you, you, how do I put this? You don't go as far as you have gone in this book. You write on page 418, this is part of your conclusion, now two years later in 2022, I realized that I didn't go far enough. Trump is an unparalleled danger, you write. The record now shows Trump has led and continues to lead a seditious conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election which in effect is an effort to destroy democracy you're not pulling any punches with this
0: guy are you no but that's you know, that's january 6th yep. and you see again you, you you look at the constitution the electoral count and it's see watergate was nixon Determined, and he succeeded to destroy the process of nominating and electing a president. What Trump, and this is what brings them to the same stage. Trump looked at the Electoral Code Act and the Constitution, and it, they literally say on January 6th. The date is in there. The Congress will meet. And the House and the Senate uh, presiding will be the vice president of the United States, who is Pence. And they will count the votes. They will count. They will count the votes. Yes. And that will that's the only certification. There's no law. There's nothing else that says who the president is. In peril, Costa and I have the things Trump said to Pence to try to get him to throw the election for them. And Pence was resisting. And Pence, I I mean, Trump said to him, I made you. You're weak. If you don't do what I want, I picked the wrong man four years ago. You are betraying me and the country. You are a wimp. The only thing Trump didn't do, the only threat he didn't make to Pence in that period was next year when I have my birthday party at Bar a lago you're not going to be invited.
1: <laughs> Just finally, you want to join me in thanking the legendary Bob Woodward for coming to Toronto tonight. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Okay. TVO Today Live is made possible by the generous support of the Wilson Foundation.